Yo, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats on the Out of Collective Network. My name is John Kroom. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review as it helps us out quite a bit. Uh, but anyways, let's go ahead and dive right into it with Marcel Pinto, who's probably one of the greatest mechanics in the U.S., but yes, I may be a little bit biased. But anyways, we sit down and we chat about bike culture. We chat about you know mechanic culture and how that kind of all intertwines into cycling and uh yeah we dive into bike shops and the whole the whole spiel of what we think on that but anyways all enough of me just chatting and shooting this shit let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode but first let's hear a quick message from the sponsors and back for another episode is rumble guys if you want to stay warm on your extra travels it's starting to get cold out there make sure you go to rumble.com and get yourself a new blankie for your car or just for life uh for the netflix and chill but uh keep you warm on the mountain keep you warm in home uh keep you warm in the van you know yeah rumble rumble.com go check them out today put a link down in the description below also woodchuck hard cider is back for another episode guys if you're looking for something for that fall tasty treat it is october and uh i do love my cider in october make sure you go check out woodchuck woodchuck.com uh for some hard cider and if yeah if your liquor store doesn't have it make sure you ask them for it and let them know that uh coffee and van chats from the out of collective network sent you um so yeah other than that guys let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode what's going on guys welcome back to another episode of coffee and van chats i'm sitting here with my good friend marcel pinto who is probably what you're mechanic extraordinaire what would you classify yourself as a very adequate mechanic a very adequate mechanic and so we met like doing some work together you know i coach he he's a mechanic and so coaches mechanics athletes we all cross paths and uh marcel is like the kind of guy who just kind of i mean He's a beam of light, you know, you throw the man into some, uh, what is it? The Dickies, you know, the full jumpsuit. He's ready mm-hmm. to flow. Um, yeah. he's, he, he's got his own calendar in the making. Um, and so, uh, yeah, be on the lookout for that. But anyways, let's just dive into who you are. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from, how you find yourself in this luxurious sport of cycling. Oh man. Um, Originally from Mexico, we, uh, my family and I immigrated to the States in like 94. Uh, both my siblings were born in the U.S., uh, went to school here, went to college here. And it was actually in college where I found cycling uh, as a means to commute to school uh, because uh, I couldn't afford, my family and I couldn't afford a car. Uh, and yeah. taking public transportation in Southern California is... Uh, terrible yeah yeah yeah. uh and so yeah like i found myself into cycling like commuting to and from school uh found a need to start fixing my own bike uh found myself running a bike kitchen at san diego state then what's uh, a bike kitchen so a bike kitchen is like a co-op space where People show up with various levels of knowledge and abilities and kind of teach each other how to work on bikes. Um, we would have people, other commuters on campus show up and we would teach them how to work on bikes. We would have tools, some parts. Uh, and it was just like a, like, you know, like, uh, 
like ride what you brung like what do you got all right let's make it work yeah, yeah. um that's kind of then sick. yeah it was like it was actually like a really good community building space uh we got to meet a lot of other people who like also were bikes and we're also like well like you know bike shops are kind of expensive especially when you're like on a college budget um and if you're commuting by bike then like clearly like there's like you have to think about like the way you spend your money uh i then got a job at a bike shop while i was still in college uh mopping floors cleaning toilets yeah uh, and when i exited working in bike shops i was managing shops so i've done every job in a bike shop from like literally cleaning toilets to like managing a shop wow and so like how do you find yourself like because i mean like recently you've like kind of found yourself on some like working with some of the one like some of the biggest coaching companies biggest pro teams uh professional athletes uh some of the biggest rides uh you even audit bike shops kind of like i didn't even mm -hmm. know that was a fucking thing and and you you do that and that sounds sick Net, um, so like just like networking and learning how to like make appropriate use of your network and like reaching out to folks and not being afraid to be like hey i need help can you yeah. help me hey help me like being vulnerable enough with the people around you to just be like hey i accept that i need help and please help me yeah and so and like because when we were chatting it was kind of like i mean we networked like in our own weird way <laughs> it was like Yo, I'm running a pro cycling team and if there's any any opportunities and there's been a few like we've like crossed paths and it's almost happened we just haven't landed it yet and maybe next year's the year but it'll uh happen. yeah it'll definitely happen yeah, yeah, but happen. but uh but yeah like I think uh I think like with you like what's your end goal with mechanics like I mean because like I think the reason why I like you so much is it's kind of like you're the athletic version of the mechanic. Does that make sense? Like what I'm trying to get at, like you put in all this work and this hustle to keep your dream going. And it's kind of like an athlete, like an athlete's like doing everything they can, the training, the, the just learning and just trying to get better and better at their sport. Like, I feel like you're constantly trying to be better and better mechanic every single day. And you're trying to do something new, bigger, brighter, and better. what is my end goal i don't i don't think i have an end goal but i do have like a list of milestones that i want to hit like goals that i have for my future yeah um amongst them are obviously wrenching out of like a like a pro tour event yeah um which you've gotten pretty on. close you've gotten yeah, pretty close I've, I've gotten pretty close like i, I feel like doing work with like uh evolo and mike creed has like brought me close yeah um and wrenching at the olympics like those are the those are two big milestones that i am actively putting in work to try to find a way um to accomplish either of those yeah because like the olympics would be the athletic you know that's the athletic pinnacle so i guess this mm -hmm. is the mechanic pinnacle like being a mechanic at the olympics is probably something really special just like being a coach at the olympics yeah it's like you get you get to go to the olympic village you get to experience the olympics uh and like your job is to make sure someone else has the best bike ride of their life yeah which like who wouldn't want that job no for sure no that's that sounds so sick and so like mechanic culture let's dive into this a little bit like on this podcast we've talked a bit about like 
cycling culture and like how we've seen, you know, quality and how we've seen, um, you know, like people in the sport and how welcoming people can be and also can't be in the sport. And like, especially in the road, road cycling space. And, and honestly, it's, it's kind of got a little bit in every discipline, right? It's a pretty snow white, uh, kind of sport and it can get kind of, can get kind of toxic, even just from the, uh, just from the top down. And I mean, you know, some of the most intimidating spaces in cycling is a bike shop. And so what, like, what is your thoughts on, on, you know, bike shop culture, you know, mechanic culture, that kind of thing. Bike shop culture is definitely it, like, I think it's like the, where a lot of people get that mentality of like the elitist mentality. Cause it, it starts at the bike shop. Like yeah. this is like the point of contact that most people have with the sport on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and it's like, I've been like, I afforded the opportunity to travel. And like, sometimes I need to go, I need to go to the bike shop to yeah. buy something on the road that I didn't bring, or I just I lost or I need replaced. And like, I walk in and it's like, why are you, why are you being such a jerk to me? Like we're, we're both in the <laughs> yeah. know and like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm in the fold and like, you're just being an incredible turd. Yeah. Uh, like I don't want to come back here ever again. And I'm like, I'm in the industry. Like, and I can only imagine how difficult it is to other people who are like, that's just how bike shops are. Uh, and like, and the answer is like, that's not how bike shops should, should be, be. And like, yeah. are. like, I've uh, last year I started uh, doing some consulting work for like excuse me, the only like black owned bike shop in the greater Philly area. Yeah. Um, and, and like I say that and like there's there's like repair shops, but this is like a repair shop bike shop like in one under one roof. Got it. Um, and like they opened up a month later, they got hit. We got hit with the hurricane and the shop flooded. And the next day there was 30 people, 20 people, 20, 30 people waiting outside to help clean up the shop. And I was talking to one of the owners. I was like, Hey man, like, are you guys going to be okay? Like, you know, you just dumped a bunch of money into rehabbing the building and like, buying all these. like now everything's ruined. And they're like, no man, we're community strong. And like I had never heard a bike shop owner say we're community strong. Yeah. Or like that their main point of focus for the shop isn't to make money, but it is to like, have a space for their community because like you said like most bike spaces are extremely like white and this is like a black owned bike shop and it just when he said that like things just started clicking like yeah like you're right like bike shops should be a point where you build community and they shouldn't be exclusive they should be very inclusive um but most bike shop owners can't see beyond like their bottom line and if it isn't going to affect their bottom line right away then like they just they have these blinders on that they just can't see yeah and it's it's weird because it's like even myself like walking into certain bike shops like i deal with and it gets it doesn't get i don't think it gets any better like maybe it does i guess just because you get used to it but what i mean is is like even when you get better at the sport you think oh maybe like they'll finally figure out who i am or like like, or if I can, if I can just communicate with them on some sort of like, maybe I'm saying the wrong terminologies or maybe I'm not using the right lingo, but like, it doesn't matter how you use the lingo. Whenever I go into a certain bike shop, especially in a certain area where I don't know anyone, 
um there's an instant like oof like who are you why did you walk in here and why are you asking for that and it's like what the fuck like what do you mean like this is a place of business you put this shit on your shelf and uh, i'm here to purchase it and it's 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 wild to me how how quick and toxic it can get just from me crossing the plane of walking into that building and it's almost like this like oh you've just walked into my territory like you know like in would you say that a majority of that is chalked up to the toxicity in cycling or like what do you what do you think what do you think where does that all stem from you think at least in bike shops i, I know bike shops are often a place for people that have in like in the best sense but also sometimes in the worst sense people end up there that like they literally have nowhere else to go yeah uh and i've seen bike shops where like people have like just because of like any of the intersections or their identities like people they're not welcome anywhere else and they end up at a bike shop and like this is my home uh, but i've also been like and i've worked with people who have like for decades been failing like almost upwards or like laterally and allowed to continue in these spaces year after year after year being so toxic and so negative and just so hurtful that I don't, I don't, I don't understand why we still like allow that. Um, yeah. It's just, it's a place for like, it's a place for rejects in like the best way, like, because, and also like in the worst way. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, I, I don't, like but I wish it's, I had an answer after 15 years of working in shops and like I don't. But the crazy thing is like there's, there's both ends of the spectrum, right? Like you have the the hipster fixie crowd that immediately are turned off by the road crowd. And then you have the road crowd or the mountain bike crowd, the professional, like the the uptight professional, you know, $10,000 bike crowd who is immediately turned off by the crowd that just slaps a bike together and calls it a bike and so and those the the best part of that is is those two cultures lives and live in two separate shops you know what i'm saying it's mm -hmm. almost like it's almost like a dive bar versus a like a upscale restaurant like you have like oh like they're both making amazing cocktails and they're both like going into it like pretty well but like the two cultures themselves are like two opposite people and and but they also have the thing in common where it's like they're going to be standoffish no matter what when you walk into a bike shop and like and, and i only wish they would realize that like they could learn so much from each other like yeah the the like like the like super snobby elite like mountain biker road biker like like you could learn so much from these people that like will slap a bike together and like have the most fun yeah and like learn to like take it easy and like enjoy the ride and like it's not about like you know the most expensive drive chain like the best gear it's like just like just ride your bike and it's fun and like the folks like the folks on the other side of that were like could learn like hey like maybe there's like a better way of like putting my bike together maybe there's like these questions i should be asking like um maybe there's like some gear that i might need that might make my ride a whole lot better um like i've I've had these situations where, where people come into a shop and be like hey like i don't want to ride those like fancy spandex shorts i like you know like 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 for lack of like i've had like 
verbatim this was like i don't want those fancy expensive shorts that make me look gay like yeah i, yeah. I was like wait i was like what about like wearing like the right outfit like automatically like makes you gay yeah uh, and like and like and like i was like why does that what? define sexual orientation right like <laughs> it's like being like i don't want to wear that shirt i don't want to make me black what like how does how it do just, you get there it, it like and so like the the uh yeah just like just there's so much people can learn from each other if we just like hey we're all riding bicycles like we should all just have a good time and hang out um which is like, which is like, why there's, which some, which is why I'm sad that some of these trade shows have gone away, because um, that was like the point where like everyone in the industry was kind of forced to commingle and be like, yeah, I guess you guys are all right. Yeah, I guess there's like this or that. Um, well, the the trade shows and see, this was what I was about to say is like, a lot of it's turned into gravel racings. Like if you think about gravel races, there's two sets of cultures. And we had Pete Stetna on previously talking about gravel culture because Pete Stetna has been this like head of like when he came into the sport and I asked him these questions, it was a pretty cool podcast, but um, it's like, you know, I asked him these questions when he came into the sport, he came into the sport with a racer mindset. But when, when, so when I was under the impression and this was like the early days of when he was coming into the sport and like when all these pros were coming into gravel and like racing like there was like this like there was like this upper echelon of like 15 dudes really racing right and maybe maybe 30 were saying they were racing but there was like 15 that everybody had their eyes on right and uh pete stetna was like the new one on the block right and it's like the ted kings and pete stetna's and allison tetrix it's like you know you had these people coming in and and but what i didn't realize is that he really cared about the gravel culture and so like my big thought with Pete Stetna was like, oh, dude, you're going to fucking you're going to you're going to mess this up. You're going to ruin gravel because like everybody's going to hate you because you're going to blow this gravel culture. And that was around the time where they had the chase photos and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And you had to stop in the middle of the race. And like I didn't think that he was totally going for the culture, but he was. And so like recently I've seen his arguments and then I was like, man, is he just like upset because it's like the races aren't going his way? But he's actually upset because the culture is starting to lose itself a bit it's like the bike racers have come into the gravel and now they don't do the chase photos anymore now they you know now they you know barely stop at the aid stations and thank the volunteers like it's it's different and so it's funny like chatting about this because it's like those two cultures could learn a lot from each other but i think on the grandest scheme of things and like where people are really all tied together is in that gravel culture wouldn't you say yeah it's like uh uh, a uh, acquaintance of mine by the name of Sam Wiley, uh, his take on gravel, which I don't a hundred percent agree with, but I like eighty percent agree with. I, is like, I love Sam Wiley, by the way. Yeah. I don't know the guy. I don't know him personally, but he's honestly my closet hero. Like that dude. Did you see? Rad. Did you see the shirt he was selling recently? No, I didn't see the shirt he's selling, but I've already loved where it's going. Um, I'll show you. It's hanging back here somewhere. So his take on like gravel and like gravel racing is like it's has-beens and never words. So it's like people that retire that like have accolades and like retired from the sport and now they're coming into gravel racing. So those are the has-beens, uh, which is like not a negative commentation, right? right? Like they did their thing in road cycling. They did and then they came back. And then there's like the never words who like just never did anything like never won anything and then like are trying to live their road cycling dreams in gravel am i about to blow this podcast up and be like 
was he is he kind of is he kind of right i mean this is a hard I, conversation to have because it's like we're recorded and we're about to post kind of like i, I like <laughs> and like for someone who spends a lot of time around people that race bikes i pay yeah. very little attention to like the actual bike racing yeah uh, which is like unfortunate because there's a lot of my friends are like oh did you watch this race I'm like no sorry like i i was building something in the basement like i was tinkering yeah yeah, yeah. um but like i've i've crossed paths with like some like people who are like really into the gravel scene and like they like like oh these roadies are like ruining like the sport and then i like i start looking up like some of these quote-unquote roadies who are ruining the sport it's like no like these are people just trying to live their road cycling dreams in gravel um, kind kind of but it's, it's like, like but at the same time, I see. But you can say that for anything, though, right? Right. Like, and, I mean, and I don't because, think there's anything wrong with that. Because you're well, like, you're literally talking about both ends of the spectrum. You're like, you're going, you're like, either you never did it or you did it at some point, and you're just both attending the same event. That makes no like in a weird way. You get where I'm going at with this? Like, yeah. It's yeah, kind of yeah. like it's kind of contradictory in the sense of like, well, obviously that person because the person that did it or whatever i don't know what qualifies you as doing it but if the person that is a has-been right i guess in the world let's just say let's just say you know i like pete stetna pete i think pete stetna likes me maybe so i'm just going to use pete stetna as an example and, and i'm trying because i'm trying to understand where we're going with this and it's like okay let's say pete stetna is a has-been just because he was in the world tour just because he did grand tours and now it's like okay well he's doing gravel just so he can win bike races again is that kind of what he's saying? But then at the same time, it's like, but then a Ted King, who is kind of in that same spectrum, but had a very, very long lived career. Um, it's kind of like, okay, he did it, you know, and now what? And so it's like this kind of conversation or even, or even Keegan, Keegan, uh, was it Keegan Swanson? The guy who's like smashing it right now. Like, I think he's doing it. Is that, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, and again, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think that like at all of these like like ex like roadies who are not fighting gravel, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think I think these folks joining the conversation and bringing, I mean, the, whenever people start like assimilating into like a culture, they'll bring the good parts and the bad parts, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. Like, it's it's just like finding out what they're bringing that is of value. And then be like, okay, these other parts that like might not like come, like not might not be part of the culture. Like we need to find a way to like help you work work through these issues or like work th like assimilate better. Yeah, uh, don't just like try to make gravel into road racing. Um, like you know, like maybe like there's you know maybe like you have to take the the chaise, uh photo in order to like for your finishing time to be legit like you have to wait in that line to that take, used like, to be a thing picture. right that used and to be a thing it's like i think like well there was like a whole article on somebody skipping the chase and honestly that person's probably gonna hate me for bringing it up because like nobody wants to you know relive their past and have this stuff dug up from the grave because it was like a big deal like a lot of people were upset about it and it was a professional, I think it was a professional road racer. And unfortunately, I think it was somebody in the women's field, but they skipped the chase 
but that's but they also didn't understand the culture and you and know so, maybe these are maybe these are also the same people that would like in a road race would attack the feed zone uh yeah but okay <laughs> if we're gonna go there if we're gonna go there this whole and like, un, like is, is it and like me? that's the, that's that's the gravel version of attacking the feed zone right i i get that but let's go there we're at a bike race when do the unwritten rules become written rules at this point like it's just like it's ridiculous like like and this is kind of where i got upset with the whole pete stetna the pete stetna thing it's like well when did that rule become a rule thing where you can't attack the aid zone or you can't like you can't do this and it's like well hey if i got a pp and i want everybody to stop so i can piss like why are you gonna get upset about it like or like why am i gonna get upset that nobody wants to stop with me like or the whole field doesn't want to stop with me like uh, you, you get what i'm saying like I, I guess my thing is is that like when did these unwritten rules start to become rewritten rules to benefit said riders and i understand maybe the unwritten rule of like hey if you're wearing the yellow jersey you respect the yellow jersey i can understand that unwritten rule it's just like a it's kind of like the shops like the the unwritten rule that like they cruise at the back and drink champagne and like they make a whole media thing out of it. Like I, I get it. And then the race kicks off at the end, but the, the, un, these casual unwritten rules of like, you know, breakaways and like, you know, who do we stop for? Who do we not stop for? If there's mechanicals, when can you attack? When can you not attack? Like, I don't know. Like if you're attacking in a feed zone, when does it become, attacking in the feed zone is it 1k out is it in the actual feed zone like when we're passing the individuals like when is it because dude I, you know how many times i've been in a fucking road race and we're just going full fucking gas through a feed zone and it's like well that sucks because i'm not getting that bottle right you know what i mean what's like, like what's your thoughts on that well i think it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna break an unwritten rule you also have to be okay with suffering the unwritten consequences. Uh, I can dig that. I can dig that. And like, you know, like in a road race, if you like, if you're the only team who attacks the feed zone, then Hey, guess what? Like if you, if you ask another team to help you put in some work to like put some time on a break or like catch a break, then like, Hey, like, guess what? Like they're not going to help you. They're going to say, go fuck yourself. Like facts. Don't come near us. Don't talk to us. Facts. Uh, uh, you know, if you break one of these unwritten rules gravel, then like you have to be okay with facing all the scrutiny of like people being like, well, you're, we don't do that here. It's like, well, I did it. Uh, and it's like, you know, but like, that's the we thing. Have un- the there thing are unwritten gravel. The thing is with gravel, it's like, it depends on who it is. Like if I, and I'm not going to name drop, but if I go out and do something, it's a lot different than X, Y, and Z big guy doing it. It really is. It's just all about who does it. It's almost like you have this permanent yellow jersey. You get what I'm saying? Like there is a yeah. there is a culture and there is a persona around the gravel scene where it's like, okay, everybody's welcome. But there is a top tier echelon in the gravel scene that is like treated like gods and goddesses. And like what they say goes. <laughs> And I think that's weird. Yeah. I think that's a weird culture. Just, I mean, how it just it'll it'll run out. It'll run its course. And when it does, I think people will be able to look back and be like, "Why did we do that?" Uh, <laughs> you think there's a gravel shelf life? Uh yeah, there's definitely a gravel shelf life. Like there's 
I'd say like two, three years from now, we're going to look back and be like, why did we allow these people to just do whatever they wanted? Like, it's not, you know, but who knows? Like maybe by then there might be like a whole new crew of people doing whatever they want. Um, there's like, it's, it's very much like the same way. Like there are unwritten rules when you're a bike mechanic and you're, Oh, like, there is. That was, that like, was my next question. When you're, when you're like in a tech zone or when you're, when you're in a pit, uh, or where you're like when you're set up, like there are unwritten rules of a parking lot when you're all working together, um, and it's like always like the and I've had people like kind of break them and be like, cool, like now we don't get to like help each other anymore. Like if you're in a parking lot working for a team, for example, and there's another team in the parking lot, yeah. and there's only one water like bib, then like. Don't be a dick and hog the water bib. Like, if you have a splitter, you use it. Yeah. Uh, if you, if someone comes over and says, like, hey, do you have any, you know, like, hey, my rider's in, like, the blue jersey. We want to put blue bar tape. Do you have any blue bar tape? Like, you, like, you're as friendly as you have to be because you don't know, like, tomorrow you might be in a situation where you need something. Um, and there was, there was, like, when I was in Normandy, there was a team that was just, like, they showed up. And like, I showed up early to set up the uh, our, like little service courts in the parking lot, and there was only one water hookup. And like, I plugged in the uh, the splitter, but like only one was like I only uh, allowed us to work, and like we were there working. And then he walked over to the bit, like to the hose bit, unplugged my hose, and plugged his hose in. And I'm like, I'm mid washing like a couple bikes. I'm like, and I walked over. I was like, Yo, what the fuck? He's like, Oh. I need the hose bib. Like we will be working on bikes. I'm like, the fuck do you think I'm doing? Like at like <laughs> 8 30 PM in the parking lot of some like two star French hotel. Like we're both doing the thing. Did you not see the splitter I put in? He's like, Oh, well, I like using my hose. Uh, and I'm like, okay, cool. And then like a couple of days later, we had him at the same, we had him, we were like at the same hotel. And uh, this situation was only one electrical outlet. And I just like plugged in straight into ours He's like, hey, I need the electro outlet. I was like, I don't know, figure something out. Go get go get one from your room. Oh, can I just plug in? Nope. Go away. <laughs> like, like you broke the rule and now I don't want to help you out. What's what's a deal breaker for mechanics? Like, what's like uh oh. what's like what's one thing an athlete needs to know? Like, let's just say they're a new athlete. Don't touch our fucking toolboxes. <laughs> don't touch my toolbox. <laughs> Like I will. You almost said it, kind of angry. Like you, you it's, were almost because I've had it because I've had it happen so yeah, many yeah. times. Or like, someone goes in my toolbox when like I step away, and I come back, and someone's like, da, 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 da. I was like, the f like I, I will throw a hammer at somebody if like you're in my toolbox without asking for permission. Like that's yeah. that's the first way to get. Like if you're on a team and you go into your mechanic's toolbox without permission. Don't expect any favors from that person. Don't expect any last minute changes. Don't like you just pissed them off. Yeah, that's a nix. That's a no go. No fly. Okay. And I got I got one more question for you about, about bike shops. So bike shops recently. Well, I got two questions, actually. First question. Do you think brands are aware of the culture in bike shops? Like, do you think 100 percent? Because yeah. I've had I've had reps who come in with that like same shitty attitude of like my shit is better than anyone else's. And if you're not carrying my shit, then like, 
Well, shit. Then do you think they are the culture too? Do you think the culture starts from the rep and then goes down? I mean, it. The, but that rep is getting that culture from the company, right? Fuck. Like it, like it, it, like it does come down. I've had like, you know, that was one of the reasons why I kind of disliked Interbike. Uh, well, one of the few reasons I disliked Interbike is like, I would set meetings because um, I was either uh, a buyer um, for the shop or I was acting as a buyer, and I'd sit at these meetings with like my sales rep and his boss to like try to get some like pre-season or something going. I'm like, wow, it's like, everyone's got a bad attitude. Like, I don't want to buy anything from you now. Like it's, yeah. I've had reps come in and be like, this shit sucks. Like you're like, you need to buy this. Like, th like I remember having a rep who was like, Hey, listen, like if you order like 10 grand or 15 grand more, I can get you an extra point on your order. I was like, no, get out of here. Like I don't order your things for a reason and like and you're a big reason why we don't order you like from you anymore wow. um but like so what was the original question i got like culture angry. like well okay yeah yeah no like they got like angry is, and sidetracked no like the whole thing is the whole question was is like do you think like i was my original question was like do you think the brands are aware of the culture in a bike shop so like do they know that like sometimes a lot of consumers are going in there feeling uncomfortable it's like kind of where i was going with that original question but i think you kind of answered it in the sense of like well they're kind of a part of the problem in their own weird way too and 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 i also think that's like i don't necessarily think that that's not that's also the reason why a lot of brands are going like dtc yeah direct to consumer because they're like oh like not only if we cut off the bike shop do we get a bigger slice of the pie but like we know people increasingly more and more are shopping online because the shops suck. Like it's yeah. just like, it, like people go there and have like bad interactions. Uh, like I've often, I've always said to anyone that will listen to me is our job in a bike shop isn't fixing bikes, isn't selling bikes, isn't our main job in a bike shop or like even as a bike mechanic is managing expectations. Yeah. Um, and if you're really good at that, then you will do great as a bike mechanic do you think like i mean because like even like canyon's crushing it right now and specialized i think is picking up on that and that's why they're kind of going direct to consumer like so you think that's why these guys are going direct to consumer because it's like they can control the narrative mm -hmm. like they don't have to have a bike in between they don't have to have a bike shop in between them like that's the crazy thing when you start going to these bigger shops like i mean you know like I used to hate walking into mega stores like, and I think you, you and I both know the brand I'm talking about. And like, it's, it's like, you know, you walk in and I don't want to, I don't want to bash any brands right off the rip solely because of this. But, um, you know, you walk into these mega stores that are just like factory owned stores. It, it like the pretentiousness, like almost takes another level. Like, because you're, you're pretty much saying that we're only going to have parts for these bikes. So yeah prepared. yeah it's like if if you like if you like you know go take a walk go like take a trek to your local store uh just like walk down onto your local store and like there's only like one bike brand like it's yeah like you can more often than not like if you have x brand or y brand or like the automatically gonna be told like hey like i've had i've had people in like in my community like oh i walked into the store in center city philly and like they told me that i needed to buy a new bike and i was like no your bike's fine like you're just like they're making you feel bad that you don't have their 
their bike. Like you're not, yeah. you're not in the cool kids club unless you have this bike. Um, and it's, it's like, it's, it's the worst thing you could do to like make somebody feel bad about their bike. Yeah. No, it's funny you say that. Cause like, even as a college kid, I mean, that's kind of how I was trained in sales in a bike shop if i'm being honest like i i i've pulled that card where it was like it was a decently okay bike like i will be honest it wasn't the best bike but they were wanting to do x y and z and i was like oh you want to do x y and z on this bike and it was probably more of a lateral move than it was an upgrade and and yeah i kicked myself for that and so this is me doing my confessions to marcel on the fucking podcast but <laughs> was it, did you like i feel like a lot of people have like that uh like alec baldwin like uh like always be closing like yeah, yeah. sales mentality. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And it's like, no, like the coffee isn't just for closers. Like the coffee is for everybody. Like, yeah, like your job in a bike shop shouldn't be to sell somebody a bike that they might not need or want. It's like, it's to make them feel good about their bike yeah. and make them good. Like, I don't, it's, it's interesting. This it's be, interesting. This and this be, is, this could be a whole podcast in itself. And that's why, that's why I brought you on was more or less to like understand mechanic culture, understand, bike culture and, and kind of see in the eyes of a mechanic and especially like a guy who audits bike shops. I think it's fucking sick. Like, like you, you pretty much try to help these bike shops boost their culture. And so like my last question for you is, is another thing that I've been seeing in shops recently is that the mechanic can refuse to work on low tier bikes. You get what I'm saying? And you've probably seen this, like where it's like, if they feel like it's, not up to par not up to standard or not something that they want to like if it's from walmart they won't work on it i worked in a shop that that wouldn't do that uh what's I mean, your thought on that i've worked on a lot of walmart bikes in my time i have too uh, but i've, but I've worked in a shop even recent and even down. recently uh it's like you have to like you have to like meet again you have to meet people where they're at and not make them feel bad for what they have and like we have to understand that there's some folks that are walking to a bike shop because their Walmart bike needs work. And it's like over a long period of time, these people might spend the same amount of money fixing this one bike than like a three, four thousand dollar bike might cost. And it like, but these people can't come up with three, four grand at once. And so it gets spread out. And the way it presents itself is like it's a very entry level, low tier bike that they dump a ton of money into it, like over like a extended period of time. Like every month they fix something every month they fix something and like at the end of the year you're like oh like you could have bought a brand new bike but like but this person can't afford to just dump like to just like like spend that money um and it's it might it's, be their only form of transportation it might be like transportation it might be like um the best and like and you never know like you could like have a very sincere conversation with someone like hey like this bike you know what you're trying to do you might be exceeding it like here's how much it would take to work i really think you should start like putting money aside to do this and like like in like it's not not judging somebody by like not judging a, not judging a book by its cover not judging somebody by like how they present themselves in a shop like the the perfect story for this was like a, when i was still in san diego a buddy of mine owned a shop that was like maybe a mile away yeah. and he gave me a phone call he's like hey heads up there's this guy coming he wants like something in his bottom bracket looked at looked at but he's got no brakes uh and the bike's like kind of falling apart and i refuse to do work on this bike unless he let me make it safe and like my buddy just couldn't communicate like well with this person 
Yeah. Uh, this person was like unhoused, um, and they like like had some like hygiene issues. So like I knew they were coming. They come into the shop, and I was like, "Hey, I was like, hey, what's going on, bud?" Like, oh, I just I need I need my bottom bracket service. And I was like, oh, it looks like you need like a little bit more in your bottom bracket. Like, would you allow me like look at your bottom bracket, but also like give you a quote for all these other pairs? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. So like, I take the cranks off and I take the bottom bracket off, and he's like, oh. uh, if you find something in the bottom bracket, just, just keep an open mind. I'm like, I take a step back. I'm like, what am I going to find in here? He's like, oh, well, you know, sometimes people like keep things in their bikes. And like, uh, I'm like, I was like, am I going to find something that I'm going to stick myself with? Like, like, yeah, yeah. like any, like anything I don't want to put in my body. He's like, well, you know, people do things, weird, weird things in the body. It's like, all right, put some gloves on, pop the bottom bracket off. Nothing. I was like, all right, this is kind of anticlimactic. He's like, oh, uh, could you take the seat post off too? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. So I popped the seat post off and I take my flashlight down and I could see like $20 bills just mashed into the frame. And so there was maybe like six inches worth of seat tube that were packed with $20 bills. Yeah. And so I was able to pop, pop that out. It was like probably like two grand worth of $20 bills in his bike and he's like cool like thanks for giving my money how much is the repair oh 300 no problem like paid for the bottom bracket paid for the brakes paid for the like the shift cable like he walked out with a brand new bike uh and it's just like he he had probably been to a couple of shots and they all turned him down because he presented as you know someone having like a lower tier bike but if you just talk to people and like meet them where they're at like you might be surprised no, that's crazy, man. Well, like one one last question before we let you go, and this is uh, this is what we ask everybody on the podcast: If you could have a cup of coffee with one individual, dead or alive, who would this individual be, and then how would you take your coffee, bro? Man, if I could have a chat with any anyway, I would like I would like to have a cup of coffee with me like ten years in the future whoa that's epic this is like the first time we've had that that's pretty good 10 years in the future i think i'm gonna one-up yours <laughs> and i'm gonna say 10 years in the past just okay. just to catch them up we'll catch up that's kind of sick so you want to figure out what's going on 10 years from now i i, I like did i do have i done the things i want to do or wow. if i didn't like oh okay how can i change what i'm doing now to do these things in like the next 10 years wow um yeah, just like have a chat with somebody with more perspective on like my situation. Um, wow, no, and just like sick. ask, I don't know, like get, get like ask the right ask, like, hey, like, how did this turn out? Did we ever do this thing? Um, and how would I take my coffee? Uh, I've been taking. Um, I will do like a double shot of espresso, and I've been dumping it into like a glass of orange juice or lemonade. Oh, what's uh, the limit? What's that called? There's a name for it. There's a name for it. I, I, someone told me it was called like the Romanov, like, like, I guess like the Romanovs used to do like coffee with uh, um, lemonade. Lemonade, uh, right? But I've been doing it with orange juice too. It, it like is great after like a ride, uh, before a ride, like acid on acid is just like terrible for your stomach. Yeah. Uh, but like after a ride, like a little citrus nice. and a little like, a little espresso. I think I, I don't think, I think I tried that once and I don't know where I was. I want to say it was Poland. Is it Poland? I, I tried Italy? it. I tried it. Uh, I like tried it in, I think I was in Belgium. 
or maybe like maybe France when I tried it. And then like and then I saw it all over TikTok. I'm like, well, I had it once. And if the kids say it's cool. If it's uh, hashtagable, it's cool, dude. Like, yeah. Type and so like and, and then <laughs> and, and then I had it and I was like, now I keep like a thing of like lemonade in the fridge and like after ride, I'll make myself a little lemonade and a little like espresso. Well, you treat yourself. Well, anyways, yeah. guys, y'all take it. Y'all take it easy. If you need a mechanic, uh, Marcel's your man. If you need somebody to audit your bike shop, Marcel's your man. If you need somebody yes. to talk to about bikes and just have an overall decent friend, Marcel's your man. Um, don't hesitate to reach out to him. We'll put a link down in the description below for his Instagram. Uh, make sure that you tell him that you heard about him from this podcast and that we love him so much. And then uh, other than that, guys, we'll see you next time. Cheers. <laughs>